Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Business Writers Radio. Brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Business Writers Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you. How are you, man? I am doing great. Excited about the show, learning about authors and their work. We have had a great time. You know, the, the show doesn't even officially launch till next month. But uh, when you have the kind of credibility that Jack and Patty Phillips do, going out to the market, talking to best-selling authors and even some aspiring authors and illustrators and editors and, and just trying to serve the business writers community, you get off to a, to a great start very quickly. And the gentleman we have joining us this afternoon is someone that Jack Phillips specifically said, man, if there's any way we can get him in the studio, let's get him in as, as quickly as we possibly can. Gentleman was gracious enough to come see us before he goes off on his next whirlwind tour. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with the Chip Bell Group, Mr. Chip Bell, how are you, man? I'm awesome. How are you doing, Ms. Stone? <laughs> I am doing really well, and I'm in particularly good spirits because I really did invest a little uh, energy over the weekend and read one of your latest works, uh -huh. Sprinkles, and have thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, so thank you. Thank you for doing it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Now, Chip, uh, <laughs> your work is spent mostly in the area of what? Customer experience. Customer how, do you, experience. how do you build long-term customer loyalty? Now, customer experiences seems to be a lost art for, for some companies out there. I've been there. noticing it. It's called <laughs> job security. <laughs> now, why do you think it is such a lost art? I think for a lot of reasons. I think one reason is that more and more organizations have uh, focused too much on the short term, on profits, on taking care of the stakeholders and worried about uh, shareholders' uh, investment, uh, obviously, which is very important, but it causes them to live quarter to quarter rather than take a long term. And if you're you're running an organization and you're interested in delivering great service, not just good service. You know, it oftentimes takes a culture change. And uh, as we all know, culture change is uh, not something you can do in a drive-by fashion. It takes, takes a while. Most of them don't have the kind of patience for it. Now, has your work always been in this area? It has been teams? for many, many years. It has been, yeah. What would you do before you were Did you have a real job at some point? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I worked with an organization not known for great service, and that was um, Bank of America. You know, where I think most of the big banks are under a lot of spotlight right now because of some of the non-customer-focused ways in which they've operated. But that goes back a long time. I've had my own company for over 35 years, and all of my work has been focused on, again, how do you create a culture in an organization that uh, – delivers the kind of experience that gets customers talking in a positive way. Now, was being an author part of your marketing strategy even at the beginning? of your Even at the beginning. Yeah, even actually when I was with the bank, I was writing articles in, in, uh, in industry-specific magazines. And um, so I think my, I don't remember, it's too far back, but first book, first book must have been in the 79, 80, somewhere around that. So I, bet, I always, I love to write. And so it's obviously because, fortunately, but it's also turned out to be a good marketing strategy as well. So I, I got to know about this conversation. Were you married at the time? When, I've been married when, when forever. Okay. I've been married so, forever. So yeah. you, you, you come home one afternoon and you say, honey, I'm going to, to leave this stable job at the bank and yeah. I'm going to go out and do this. Right. Start my own company. And she goes, 
And I got a great I, name for it. I can't, is this a family? It's a family network, so I can't say what she said. <laughs> well, I mean, no, she, she must have been. She was excited. She was excited because she could see it was passionate and por- important for me. Yeah. It's my passion. And so uh, the scary part is not following your passion. The scary part is all the surrounding stuff that goes with that, you know, because there's no guarantee you're going to make a salary, make an income. And, you know, the old adage of, uh, you know, you're going to start for two years before you can get a practice going. Uh, fortunately, it didn't work for me because I knew the good way out that I was going to do that. So I planned for it, laid the groundwork, did a lot of the early marketing for it, built a network of clients. So one the day I flipped the switch and said, now I'm on, the own, on my own, um, I had clients to go working with. So that's, you know, it's all about planning. Um, too many times people just do it as a impulse and usually doesn't turn out too well. (laughs) Well, when your business is in helping other people, um, improve their customer experience, does your customer experience when you work with your firm have to be like, it does second to none. It has to be (laughs) awesome. It has to be amazing. You know, and to give you a good example of that, um, you know, I oftentimes have people call me and they say, you answered your own phone. Well, yeah, that's in my business. Or sometimes they will call me on Sunday afternoon thinking they're going to leave a message for me to pick up Monday morning, and I answer the phone. I'm fishing, but I'm, you know, my office hours are 24-7, and I have to be. I think I, I like to tell people I keep the same office hours that Amazon does. Um, and I think that's <laughs> there, there is a principle behind that. More and more customers um, find the concept of uh, access to an organization around the clock to be something they, they should be able to do. I mean, it may not be the same as during, quote, normal store hours, but you should have an opportunity to access somebody anytime you want to. So I think, so therefore it's incumbent on me to practice what I preach. Well, one of the things that I picked up very quickly when I started reading the book over over the weekend is you see customer experience or not, or lack thereof, in virtually just about anything, and and this was inspired to some degree or, or triggered you by by uh, what your time with your with your grandchildren. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm a storyteller. I grew up. My grandfather was a storyteller, and there's stories everywhere, and, and you know, they're all around us. And obviously, I happen to be you know blessed with three gorgeous granddaughters, and you know, they give me great inspiration because there is a. I think there is an authenticity and an innocence there that helps us connect with what's true, what's real, what's what's genuine. And so, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the business world and we're all highfalutin, we're all worried about impression and image and that kind of thing. And you spend time with an eight-year-old and you get brought down to what <laughs> life is really about. And so they do provide me. And this particular book, um, they did because... Uh, it gave me sort of the concept around which to build this particular book. And uh, that was the whole concept, Sprinkles. Right. The spring, uh, the book we're referring to is Sprinkles, Creating Awesome Experiences Through Innovative Service. Um, can you share some of the stories there in the book? Oh, sure. I'd be delighted to. And I'll start with that one. And, and that is, uh, is uh, I, every time my granddaughters come visit us, usually sometime during that visit, we'll make cupcakes or cookies or whatever. And so it's a fun thing to do together and they get to participate and, and doing them from scratch. And so one time uh, they were there and we'd, we'd made uh, cupcakes and my second middle granddaughter said, uh, right in the, you know, mouthful of cupcakes. She says, Chippy, they call me Chippy. <laughs> Chippy, you know what makes a good cupcake great? And I said, no, what? She said, Spa- sprinkles. Well, it hit me, you know, that's, a lot of truth there for all of us in terms of the customer service world. And as I say, 
good service we don't tweet about, good service we don't talk about. It's when it's got to be unique, different, unusual, right. out of the ordinary, exceptional. That's what we talk about. And so my book, this is actually the second in a series of three, is uh, is all about how do you create the what I call value unique experience. You know, we're all accustomed to the concept of value added, taking what the customer expects and adding more. But there's a problem with that because anytime you add more, the customer's expectations go up with it. So what are you going to do the next time and the next time and the next time? And pretty soon you're out of room and it all all gets extremely expensive. But the concept of value unique is something that's ingenious, not just generous, meaning it's unexpected. It's different. It's something that I didn't think. It's sort of like the, like the uh, you know, free prize inside the Cracker Jack box. You know, we... We all love Cracker Jacks, and that was one of the things that made it special. Even though that prize was financially worthless, it was emotionally priceless. Mm-hmm. And so adding that kind of unique kind of a, a twist that's, that trades on the creativity and innovation uh, of, of frontline people is what makes someone go, wow, that's different. I can't wait to tell somebody about it. So that's the whole focus of, the, of, of my work is around how do you bring that sort of value unique experience not just value added there's nothing wrong with value added but there's again it's there's a limit to generosity there's no limit to ingenuity now but uh taking that point a little further now you have the cracker jacks they're building in a prize inside yeah, right right so it's built into the product at some point it's it, not a surprise anymore because it happens every single time do you think that they would be better served if it was random Oh, I think, well, there's some obviously good principles behind randomness, uh, as we all know if we've been to Vegas. But I, <laughs> but <laughs> we keep hitting that slot machine, you know, and this time I was going to hit it, but uh, maybe if I sat on the corner one, it'll do it. But, you know, we, at any rate. But here again, uh, the what we don't know is what we're going to get. Right. And that's what makes mm-hmm. it unique. And I think it's special is what's my, I know I'm going to get a free prize. They already told me on the box, but I don't know what it's going to be. This time it might be one of those tattoos I get to put on. <laughs> so let's talk about the work a little bit because sure. you write and you and you speak, but you are actually out there working with teams and helping them really get good at this, right? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Working with leaders and organizations. And again, it's all about how do you create a culture, an environment, a setting in which people feel, in which that's treasured, in which that's valued in the organization. And so I get to work with organizations helping them do that. Well, I would think that one of the early challenges for an organization that maybe is not very good at it yet uh-huh. would be just coming up with the ideas. Is that is that hard for them? It's not if you create the right setting. Okay. You know, just get a group of uh, third graders together and see how quick you come up. <laughs> now, if a third grader can do it, can adults ought to be able to do it pretty well. So I think it's really not about how do we come up with the ideas? I think it's more about how do you eliminate those things that keep it from coming out? And so how do you, how do you eliminate the obstacle, the barriers? What keeps you from being as, as innovative as a third grader? And, and so I think it's all in us. It's just got to, it's like empowerment. You know, we love to talk about empowerment as if it's some gift we give. You know, people think God gave us all the power we, we can use. It's not about giving power. It's about releasing power. It's about you know, eliminating mm. the obstacles so that people can act with power. The same thing, I think, with ingenuity. You know, um, there, the, there was a guy, Gordon McKenzie, is a great, great uh, writer and wrote a, group, uh, wrote a book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. That's kind of a cool title. I remember that title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the head of creative for Hallmark Cards. And, and after he um, uh, retired, 
He worked as an artist in residence for the schools in Overland Park uh, near where they were headquartered, Kansas City. And uh, he tells the story how he would go into a first grade class and say, how many artists do we have? And every child in the room would raise their hand. And then he'd get to the third grade and he'd fourth grade, he'd say, how many artists do we have? Maybe half the kids would raise their hand. By the time he got to the fifth grade, he'd had maybe one closet artist that would timidly raise their hand. And he goes, what happens between the first grade and the fifth grade that causes kids to suddenly think they're not artists? Well, the phenomena is all about socialization and, and the things that make us okay and not okay. And so what I work with organizations a lot is trying to find ways to help free up that, release that, so they can be creative. I think when you give people an opportunity and it's valued and you let them know it's valued and they have the feel they have the authority to do it, they can do all kinds of unique things. Sometimes the, the most, and again, what makes value unique work is the simplicity of it. I mean, if we get into red carpets and helicopters and champagne, customers start worrying about what it costs. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's keeping it novel but simple. And elegant. It has to Absolutely. be elegant in the elegant, whole exactly. Yeah, it has a sense of uh, of uh, of awe inspiring uh, experience for them. Absolutely. It has writing the books helped you get the work. Has has the work helped you sell the books, or do they feed each other? The answer is yes. They feed each other. Okay. It's a, it is a it is a great symbiotic relationship. Um, it, through the work I do, I have an opportunity to find stories, discover stories, et cetera. And, and concepts and so forth. It also is a great forum for me to test ideas because you've got a, you know, a client who's saying, let's try this. And so it, the, the, the opportunity to have sort of a laboratory for experimenting with concepts and ideas uh, is great. And so there, there's that. But it's also the more books you write, the more people want to hear you speak about it. And then when they hear you speak, they want well, to come work with us. And so it is, uh, yes, it does feed each other. Um, you know, I write because I need to write. You know, if it didn't, if I knew going into the deal, I wasn't going to make a penny and sell a single book. You know, I'd still have to write. It's just do you who, have a system? Just who I am. <laughs> when you when you write your books, do you have a system that you use that helps you kind of crank them out? No, I don't. I have um, a system. System is a heavy word. System is uh, more cerebral than I do. Um, it, it you is, go out to the mountains with an old-fashioned typewriter and just no, start no, clicking no, the no. I, that's how you I do work it? on an uh, Apple laptop. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not very mountain-like. But what I, you know, I, I have a, a note cards I travel with all the time that, that I make little notes on an idea that comes to me, and I make little notes, little notes, little notes. You know, I write an article or two about something, and I start saying, hmm, there's, a, there's more there, and it's an emerging process. And then at some point, this is going to sound strange. At some point, the book shows up, and there it is, and that's sort of which, so like sprinkles. How did that kind of the idea germinate? Well, it started with my granddaughter. So your granddaughter says, yeah. "Let's make cupcakes," and you're yeah. like, "What makes them special?" Sprinkles, well, yeah. yeah. And then, and then I go, "I wonder, I wonder if where the concept of sprinkles and customer expectations meets. I wonder what you could do with that. I wonder if you blew that out. I wonder if you thought about this is kind of how you think. You know, I wonder if you what else." Hmm, gourmet. There's a concept around gourmet. I wonder if you could take the whole concept of making a meal gourmet and you could sort of blow that out into serial concepts. So concepts become chapters. And so you can develop more. So you go, one of the concepts, one of the concepts that's important to children making stuff is, and you remember this, when you made a 
helped your mother or father make a cake, what did you get to do before you put it in the oven? You got to lick the beaters. Well, yeah. oh, lick the beaters. Customers like to lick the beaters. They like to be involved. They like to have a participation. So there's a concept. And so you start working on developing that, and then all of a sudden you're off to the races and mm -hmm. you're writing, and it's sort of you're channeling it, taking dictation, if you will. <laughs> well, and then your mind kind of gets opened up to examples yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if I got to find a good story that would go with that concept. And, yeah. And so then you're, you're going back through your archives of, you know, I remember one time that I remember an instant like that. And then you start developing the story around to illustrate the point. And then, you know, I, I bet there are some techniques that could go with that to make that more actionable or more of a, a, a something that people could go do specifically. And so now you're create, creating sort of some how to's and to do's as a part of a chapter. And so mm -hmm. it, it kind of, you know, that's how it does for me. I, I don't, I mean, I think sometimes people, and it works for them. Doesn't work for me. Outline a book. Sounds boring, doesn't it? Just outline. <laughs> it a does book. when you say it. Yeah, outline a book. <laughs> you know. You know. To me, sounds all like I, work. Yeah, it sounds like work. Absolutely. And to me, it's you know, there's more. There's more of an adventure. It's a treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more like that. It feels more like a treasure hunt. Like I start out, I have no idea where it's going. You know, I just you just let it lead you. Let it, you follow it. And sometimes you go down a dead end trail and you go, well, that was an interesting strip. It just didn't go very far. And you back up, you think about it some more. And, and so it's more like that. It's more like um, evolving and, and let it just develop itself. You now, know? now, in your work with customer experience, um, do some industries or even companies think, oh, customer experience, that's for like the Disney's or the Apple's or let them have that because that's creative and stuff. But we're, you know, we make cement, you know, we're boring. It's interesting industry. that you say that. You know, like there's nothing here that we can wow anybody with. You know, what yeah. am I going to give them a free cement block or a brick yeah. or something? Yeah. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you, that's a good one. I want to play on your uh, cement one. Yeah. Because what you may have some limits to the product and it's being novel and different and you're not concrete, but I want to come back to concrete one. But the experience that surrounds it, you know, it, it, what can I do to make the experience unique and different? It's um, what could I do with the cement? So let me take that one just a little bit. I was working with a cement company. I um, got here again. I, I'm going to bring my granddaughters into this because they didn't, you know. I so hope I'm, they get I, a piece of the royal Yeah, piece. really. You know, I, I, they should. <laughs> absolutely. I bought a Corvette when I was 16. Um, the, but, but I was working with a cement company, and um, I said, my, I'm working with a cement company. And, you know, they make, like, driveways. They make, like, highways. They make, like, you know, um, foundations for buildings. And so when you all think about a cement company, tell me what comes to mind to you. I mean, these are, you know, eight, 10-year-olds, you know. Well, what comes to mind? And so they started think, thinking about what that might mean. It's like silly putty. It's like uh, making, um, you know, mud pies. Oh, that's sort of like it. It's sort of like, uh, and then my youngest granddaughter, who's six at the time, she said, you know, it's like a dance floor for cars. Think about that. It's wow. like a dance floor for cars. Well, I took that. So I'm doing a presentation for them. And I go, you know, my, you know tell me what my granddaughter uh, said about you guys. Uh, and they said, what? She said, well, you, you really in the business of making dance floors because they make highways, you know, highways. You're in the business of making dance floors for cars. And the guy who's head of R&D for them said, oh my gosh, we completely missed it. Because you know what we need to be working on? Embedding fluorescent 
in highways. So when you're in a remote area and your light hits it, the whole whole um, highway lights up. So there was a concept sitting down there working on it. Maybe I'll get some of that wrong. <laughs> but my point is, is that it all came by just thinking differently about it and opening it up and saying there's no limits. And, I, and I, so all of a sudden now, they're also thinking about, so what can we use from a marketing sport? What can we embed in the experience that's sort of like that? You remember when you were a kid, you know, Ford Motor Company or a John Deere tractor. You had a little John Deere tractor, a little miniature tractor. Yeah. What 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 if we had a what if we had a little miniature piece of concrete that lit up, you know, and a kid could be a kid a kid could it'd be something different for them. And mm-hmm. so all of a sudden now they're starting to think differently about not just a product, but an extension to its its experience that surrounds it in marketing. And so that's I think that's how it goes. And it's there's always an opportunity. I can't think of any environment. Any business where if you couldn't couldn't make the product more unique and different, you could certainly make the experience that surrounds it more unique. Right. I would imagine that that's true for you, but I would think that some of the customers think internally that's one of the things you probably have to get a, over is them thinking it's too boring or there's yeah. nothing interesting oh, about yeah. it. We have a boring business or, yeah. or we're accountants. There's nothing happening. We just crunch numbers. Right. But it's you know, they hire you or they bring you in. And then all of a sudden now you're looking at it from 50 different exactly kind of, and finding facets that they've just kind of, they take for granted or they, they don't see anymore. Exactly. They, they see it so much. They don't see it. anymore. That's right. Exactly that. Cause it's opening their eyes. And again, that's part of the whole process of innovation is seeing what everybody sees, but noticing things they don't miss or, or they don't notice anymore. And again, I think that's true for all businesses. We get, like you say, we get, uh, sort of used to the way it's. we've always done it. We get used to the way things are, and we stop seeing the opportunity. And so, and we don't see the special as special anymore. No, 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 you no. Because exactly. we see it every day. But Absolutely. for the person who's first interacting, it could be you know eye opening and a wow thing uh, oh, that yeah. you're just dismissing as oh that's just how we do things uh, here. Exactly. And I think it's it's looking for way you know bringing that customer in because customers see opportunities that we in our organizations don't. And so mm-hmm. part of the inclusiveness with customers opens your eyes to say, gosh, we know, uh, one of our customers suggests we might do this. What if we, what if we ask more customers about it? And so um, getting customers more involved in helping you design and craft whatever products you have helps bring out an ingenuity you might not otherwise have considered. Now, how, how could customers do that? How do they go out to their customers? Like, how could your clients go out to their customers? Do you have any kind of method I, behind that? Yeah, I think it, the, it can be as simple as a focus group. I mean, as simple as a, a, a fun fo- focus group. You know, let's bring in, you know, I was working, working with an organization last week um, that's a manufacturing company. And, and one of the things we did, it was craft a uh, a forum for them to bring in some of their customers and make it a really really fun experience and how we can make it fun so they would generate new ideas new techniques and so forth so it doesn't have to be kind of researchy it can be simple and easy just bring in a half dozen customers put a bunch of things on the table and say you know this is what we want to focus on today and we need your help mm-hmm. uh, you know e- e- our a good example is eBay has a started with Meg Whitman when she was CEO they have a voice the customer program that's not just the traditional we want to hear from our customers, but they also get in lots and lots of different variations of beta test uh, products or get them to help design products. So they have sort of like customer works, like Skunk Works used to be, but this is sort of like with customers. And so customers actually help them design their first app when they first created the eBay app. 
the customer's help design, what does it need to look like, how do we price it, you know, et cetera. And, you know, they had 5 million downloads in the first month and sold $500 million worth of merchandise in the first quarter just because the customers had helped craft it. And so I think looking for ways to get a lot of people, you know, if you stay in the ivory tower, as the CEO of eBay now says, we stay in Santa, Santa, San Jose in the ivory tower. We don't, we don't get close to the customer. We don't see those genius, those genius ideas that they could bring us. And it's the, the customer, these type of initiatives aren't super expensive for oh, no. companies of all sizes could do this. Oh, absolutely. This small, small little mom and pop, you right. know, get, get them involved. You know, I, it just it, Miller Brothers down the street here. I mean, uh, or in uh, Buckhead, it's a cool place, you know. And uh, if you've ever been in their store, you know they somebody came in and somebody, you know, they're an upscale men's store, you mm-hmm. know, cl- men's clothing. And so somebody said, you know, why not? One of the times people come in here on Saturday and you know trying on clothes, they just got Junior in tow. You know, and your kid and daddy's trying on trousers. Mm-hmm. It's boring. You know, when are we gonna get to go home? Why don't you put a great big gumball machine, you know, in the middle of the store with a big plate of shiny pennies? Well, now everybody <laughs> knows that's the store with a gumball yeah. machine. Let's go. You Dad, know, let's, how, why don't we go cold, there, Dad? You know, right? Now, if you got a gumball machine for kids, why don't you have a real bar for us? There you go. You know, so now they got a full stock bar and big widescreen TV, and you know, people could sit in there and watch the ball game and try on clothes. I mean, on and on and on and on. It all comes from trying to think through the lens of the customer. If I wanted a real unique experience when I came to buy men's clothes, upscale men's clothes, what all, what should that experience be like, you know? And it's and, funny, it's never the, it's not like, oh, you have to fly them by helicopter here. It's always no. something simple. Something and, right. and obvious. <laughs> I'll tell you one of my favorites from when I was a kid, and I haven't seen another, it's a pizza company. There was a pizza place, this little divey, you know, mom and yeah. pop pizza place that, if you picked up, they would give the driver a half a slice of pizza. So oh, that you're like, I want to be, great? I want to drive. I have never seen another pizza no. place emulate that. Where you think neat. about it, how, what do they have tons of? It's, yeah, that it's is the fantastic. easiest thing to implement. Oh, sure. And then so everybody goes, oh, let's go to Frankie's because I'll, I'll pick it up because yeah. you get a half a slice to, when you're picking Isn't up and driving neat? home. And then they, that's so cool. I'll give you a variation on the theme. There's a pizza store in, in Philadelphia that if you go in, when you go in to buy your pizza, you can put in um, a dollar and buy a pizza for a homeless person. Oh, wow. And you write a nice. note to them and you put the note up on the bulletin board. And so a homeless person can come in and take the note off the board. The pizza's already paid for. You've paid for it and get a slice of pizza. I mean, there's the kind of go, right. you know, and so man, people line up. Because they feel like they're not only doing something, you know, getting good pizza, but they're also doing something for somebody else right. and as a community outreach com- concept. Well, that's that's the kind of thinking that's to me this. We have unlimited opportunities to think that way, right? So it's it's a fun area to be in. <laughs> so the writing apparently came fairly easy to you early on. What about the speaking? Was 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 that uh, a, a challenge for you at first by being a professional speaker and up there in front of a crowd? And- uh, the, the, well. Let's say no. Well, he was a banker. No, no, you know, no, bankers no, are no. usually good at speaking. Right? That's right. That's right. We've heard, we've heard our bankers speak, right? We know. We know. Actually, um, there's, if you put professional and speaker together, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've always been a speaker. I was a speaker in high school. You know, I, I, I was involved in government, the student government, so it's, I've never have been uncomfortable getting in front of people. 
Um, and so that's fun. I love it. I love speaking. I love doing keynotes. Um, what, what you learn is over time, the more you do, the more you can put professional in front of it because, you know, you've, you've got there, you know, it's not just standing up and speaking like to the Rotary Club or Lions Club or, you know, something like that. It's, you've got 4,000 people in the audience, 5,000 people in the audience. They expect a really professional job. And so learning to be someone who speaks in a way that is has a certain polish to it, but still captures the the humility and and and, and authenticity that people love in a in, a, in yeah. a good speaker. So, I mean, you know, they no one wants a lecturer. They want somebody who's entertaining, who's fun, who challenges them, who inspires them, and more importantly, leaves them with something they can go do differently. And that's what I strive to do. Is well, and, and I would think in a crowd of four thousand, you can kind of get them fired up. You can give them some ideas. Yeah. You can get them invigorated. Like candidly, you have for me for over the weekend. You can ask the guys. I came in today wanting to talk all about customer experience, but it, it occurs to me that in the follow-on work, right, there, there has to be something done that gets the 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 mid-level managers, uh, the and maybe these senior-level execs. To the point where they genuinely express, model, reward whatever it is you're teaching. Because we could even not even if we're even if we're not doing it on purpose, we could just quash it. Oh, right? sure, we're, easily, 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 easily. Yeah. And so you've got to start with having. You've got to you've got to convince. My job is to um, convince. Not is too strong a word. Influence. I think it's a better word. Influence people in leadership roles, senior leadership roles, particularly to say, this is important. Here, this is a this is the kind of payoff you can get. This is the kind of what are the benefits for that? Because here again, if you're a senior leader and you've got accountability and responsibility, you know, why don't more, we started with a question, why don't more organizations already have great service? Well, somewhere along the way, they're not convinced there is a return on their investment or they're not willing to go the distance. So it becomes a return on investment. Their patience runs thin because it takes a while. It's not something you can just happen quickly. And so they've got to, they need to f- get a sense of passion and excitement that this can make a difference and we're going to stay the course long enough for it to do it. And then creating a culture means it's got to be embedded in things like performance management and what people are held accountable for and, and, and um, how you reward people and how do you prepare them and train them and, and support them and enable them. It's, so it's, it's culture change is complex and, uh, and because People are complex, and when you get a bunch of them together, it's even more complex. And, you know, it's hard to move. Hard to People move. are crazy. Well, yeah, absolutely. Thank <laughs> I've been God. around them my whole life. Thank goodness. <laughs> it's so, a lot more fun that way. <laughs> this may be a little off the mark, but I'm going to ask okay. you anyway. But, um, so you're going to get a lot of good ideas if you create this environment that, yeah. you're, that you're describing. And you're not going to be able to execute on all of them, even yeah. the good ones. So there has to be, I would think, what do you do with the good ideas that you're not going to execute on, or at least not yet? Because you you don't want to no to quash that either. I mean, you don't want to lose them either, and right. you want to keep saying, "Let's what do we got here in the bag that we can bring up, and maybe it six yeah. months from now, a year from now, two years from now, maybe maybe it's a wonderful idea, but the timing's not right." Because you don't want that guy or that lady oh, to go no. in and say, "Well, I'm done contributing now; they didn't no, use my no, idea." No. Exactly, because it here again, a great idea is we know with a great hit. A great hit's not just writing a great song. It's about get writing a great song that fits the time, that's that's right for now. And so we all know of hits that you know didn't do anything initially, and all of a sudden, many years later, they're they're hitting it out of the park. Sometimes it's all about timing, 
And so helping people gain the, the, the understanding that your great idea we can't implement right now, but in time we probably will be and not be discouraged and, and keep generating more, more ideas. And so, and also help people recognize it as a process. It's not just static. It's not like now, it's not an event. Creating organization that's, you know, I, I, I've had the wonderful opportunity to work a lot with the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company and they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're a company that not only is great for service, I mean, they're, but they also know that they have to keep at it all the time. You know, today's fad is tomorrow's antique. And so I've got to find ways to keep it fresh and new because the customers never change. It's always changing. You know, I read some research not not too long ago that said the customer's expectations for their experience is going up about 30 percent a year. Right, and, yeah, yeah. You, know, and, you know, and when you're looking at that and what's changing them, what's changing them is is not their industry. What's changing them is all the other things you experience. That's what makes customer service so hard is now you're com- you're not just competing with your industry. You're competing with Cirque du Soleil and Uber and Disney mm-hmm. and, you know, anybody who's creating experiences because when you're, when you're a customer experience has a great experience anywhere, all of a sudden now they look at you through a different lens. They, they go, well, you know, you're, you're, um, you're good, but you're not Disney. You know, I was at Disney last week and you aren't Disney. You know, your receptionist didn't have near the attitude that the people did at Disney. What, what's, what's wrong with that? And so you go, that's not fair. You know, I'm paying $100 a day or 130 if you get the hopper ticket to go to a Disney and now walk into a receptionist and I'm now looking through. That's just the way the customers are. You know, it's not not necessarily fair or right. It's just our what we experience in any moment in time is a is judged by all the experiences that we've had. So when that FedEx guy walks fast with that delivering my package and then postal service so- shows up next, guess what? You know, when I call FedEx for a, you know, to, for a package pickup and they answer the phone in one ring, what would I expect the next call? And so why should it be different? And so now we're getting Ubered, you know, and so mm. U- Uber, you know, I love Uber. Uber's a great company. And, but when I get out, take an Uber ride, you know, and then, I, I know exactly where my driver is, and now I go, okay, what other deliveries are am I going to get, and why wouldn't I know where they are, and why wouldn't it be like this, and, you know, why shouldn't they? And so we on and on and on, we generalize our experiences to every other thing, which continually elevates the standards, therefore the expectations of the customer. So it makes this whole area something that is a an ongoing process and helping people understand that. You know, it is it is a process. It's not static. It's not just one time, one and done. We've got to, you know, as long as the customers keep changing, we've got to change with them. And don't you have to focus more on relationships than transactions? Isn't that at the heart uh, of this? You, absolutely, absolutely right, Lee. And, and, the, and the, because we know the economics with a relationship are so much more, uh, so, such a greater return than that transaction, you know. And so getting organizations to stop thinking about that transaction and building a long-term relationship. Um, what does the statistic say? It costs, I don't know, eight or 10 times to acquire a customer, what it costs to keep one. Why would we want to put all of our investment on bringing in new customers? If I can build that customer and keep them, the economics change big time. And I don't have to keep reselling them. I just have to keep making sure I'm meeting their needs. And so I think that's uh, that's absolutely critical, is building a relationship and creating an environment that is wired so that they want to, it's not just 
one time I'm going to see this customer. I don't know. It doesn't matter what kind of experience I get. I'm going to see them again, hopefully, again and again and again and again. And, you know, I want them to remember me and remember me in a positive way. Now, is that when you talk about the ROI of customer experience and customer satisfaction, is that really at the heart of it is you're trying to build this lifetime customer? More than anything, that's that's a piece of it. That's a very emotional piece of it is, is I want them to keep coming back because, you know, I don't have to keep reselling them. But I think the thing that is most, um, the, mo- the most moves the needle, if you will, the most moves the needle is the advocacy. And that is that I create an experience that customers want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Because now more and more statistics show we pay attention to what our neighbors say about a particular service provider or product provider. Um, that's much more compelling to us in terms of influences to make a decision or not. Um, oh, I wouldn't go there. And so we don't. Oh, you want to go here, you want to try this, or I've got a great one of these. And and so we listen to the reference power of our neighbors, you know. And so now with social media, which, you know, puts word of mouth on steroids and uh, five times the reach because now it's not word of mouth, it's word of mouse or touchpad, and uh, <laughs> so to speak. And, and so now that whole advocacy becomes much more amplified. Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, said in a, in a physical world, an unhappy customer tells six people. In the cyber world, they tell 6,000. And so mm-hmm. the recognizing the reach of that makes the advocacy much more doable because now it can reach so many more people with a great tweet or a great uh, Yelp or whatever. Um, it, I think that's the return because if I can get my customers to start singing my praises, they become an extension of my sales and marketing effort. That's the better return, greater return than just that customer keep coming back and deepening their relationship. Mm-hmm. And then that's where these kind of special surprise and delight moments are those shareable moments, right? Absolutely. That creates that story that you want folks to tell and, right. and talk about. Absolutely. Right. The store is the one with the giant gumball machine. That's yeah. the thing that you're going to tell your oh, neighbor sure. instead of that's oh, just sure. the store. Yeah. I can go, and I can go back by there on Saturday morning, pick out, pick out a and get a Bloody Mary while I, while I shop. You know? <laughs> That's the one I like is the, <laughs> is the bar when, when, well, when my wife Holly's shopping and I can get a margarita. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's premium stuff, too. It's not cheap. You know, it's good. So, you know, I'm sure they've embedded it somewhere. But nevertheless, we don't mind. <laughs> we right. don't mind. <laughs> now, this show focuses on business writers and uh, aspiring business writers. Do you have any advice for an aspiring author that's out there that maybe is in a job like you were at Bank of America yeah. like, and they want to kind of at some point go out on their own, how do they begin the process of starting writing a book or, or writing a book that becomes a platform for a business? Right. Well, I think getting practice is, a, is, is where I would start. One of the most fertile grounds for practice is industry magazines. All, you know, most industry magazines are looking for new content all the time. And in many ways, it's, they are more interested in hearing from a practitioner with no ulterior motive than a consultant like me who has clearly an ulterior motive. You know, I'm looking for, you know, I want to get it published in that magazine so I can do reprints so I can use it as a marketing tool. And so they know that. And, um, and so when a practitioner says, this is an idea I've tried in my company, I'd love to write a story about it, it is they're much more interested in that because it's closer to their members. And so, and here again, the lack of an ulterior motive. I think it gives new writers a, a good place to say, let me start by writing something that I know, m- you know, my industry, my area, and try to get it published in um, in my magazine, in my 
specialty area. And I think that's a good place to start. Um, but it starts with practice. It starts with, you know, I've had a lots of good tutors along the way, people who have been my mentors who have said, you know, this is pretty poorly written. You might try this or might try that. And, you know, I've, I've had the good fortune of, of being a mentor to a number of first-time authors and who are having to learn to let go. That's the hardest thing for most business writers to do is to let go and let that creative creative power come through because most of us got messed up. I, and, and I know there are probably English teachers out there listening <laughs> right now. But too many times, I think, we came through a school system that didn't particularly value creative writing. They valued correct writing. And so we learned all about dangling participles and split infinitives and we diagram sentences. And none of that's important when you're writing for business. That's none right. of that's important. Just got to know where the value's at. That's it. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And exactly. I think we identified that. Just got to know where the value is at. <laughs> and that, that occurred good. between second and fifth grade. Yeah, when exactly. All problems. Exactly. <laughs> but it's learning, it's learning to sort of not write with us, you know, critique in mind. You know, you've got, I tell people, you know, it's it, we all know from brainstorming, it's a whole lot easier to uh, to tone it down than it is to think it up. And so right. learning to let go and let that creative side come through. And encourage you, the passion. And yeah, just let it, yeah, just, just freeform, free freeform, free right. form, you know. At the first book I, I ever wrote, I dictated. And I I, I had a dictum, you know, a portable. In dict- a machine? Yeah, right. yeah, mm-hmm. old, old dictaphone, mm-hmm. a, a portable dictaphone. And I, I went to the, my wife and I went to the beach and um, every morning at five o'clock, I'd get up and walk on the beach and dictate for like three hours. And then in the afternoon, I'd, you know, late in the afternoon, I'd get another three hours in. And, and so then I took it back and I had a secretary. I was working at the bank at the time. I had a secretary and, you know, she'd take it home and on her own time, she would type it. And I just tell her, I say, just type whatever you hear, forgive all the profanity, but just type <laughs> what you have. And then, and, and just let it, and it'd be freeform stuff and it would make no sense. But then I'd get the dick, you know, she'd come back and I'd have it all typed up and stacks and stacks of type pages. Then I'd get a pair of scissors and start cutting it up and putting it around and putting it on a big place. And this doesn't go here. It goes over there. And this, all of a sudden now, and then she'd retype it and it gets a little more organized, a little more organized. But what it allowed me to do is freeform. And the freeform was what, when you're dictating, you don't have time to, you know, when you're holding that pen, you tend to, or typing, you tend to think, you know, and this is not said. Let me back up and say it differently. But when you're dictating, you're just talking. And so it's free for them. And the real you start, it comes mm-hmm. out. And it was a good discipline uh, for me to start with. I did two books where I just dictated the whole book, not in one sitting, obviously, but over time. Right. But it, it, I think learning to access the real person and the real spirit and the passion, as you say, is the key and not and not worrying about today with with the publisher you've got smart editors who who can they're going to fix all they're going to fix yeah. all of that you know <laughs> they're I not going to let you look stupid no that's no, their job. no exactly. let them do their job do that's their job, job security for them exactly <laughs> exactly and then they they find stuff i wouldn't even see you know it looked okay with me <laughs> you know and I think that's it's hard because people think when they're first starting out, they've got to play that role. And that, that role stops the creativity. And right. So Be a writer, not an editor. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap, can we get a little bit of uh, a peek into what you're going to write next? Are we allowed uh, to talk about that a little sure, bit? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah the, the, the next book's coming out in February. And, uh, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, it, um, it is, um, I, I can give you, the title is Kaleidoscope. 
and um, it's uh, the whole um, continuing the concept, um, delivering innovative service that sparkles is the is the uh, underlying theme, it is the subtitle. And um, like I say, it'll come out Valentine's Day. It's supposed to be the pub date, but it is like Sprinkles. It is similar to that. It is, as I mentioned, the first book I wrote in this particular arena was called Nine and a Half Principles of Innovative Service. That was the first book. Then the second one, Sprinkles, which is, um, uh, and then this this was the third. So it's third in a series. It is a deeper book than Sprinkles. It is a more spiritual book, not in a religious sense, but in finding the very debt. Well, let me me put back up. The goal of the Sprinkles was to create a kind, kind of a fun, whimsical experience. This book is more about having a profound impact on the customer. It is, how do you create an experience they remember forever? And, and I'll give you a little, if we got time, a little preview of, of how it opens. But if you saw the movie Walk the Line. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it opened with, um, or early in the movie, Johnny Cash and his two sidekicks are auditioning with Sam Phillips at Sun Records in Memphis. And um, he starts to sing a song. Sam Phillips stops him, and he said, "If you got anything else?" And he said, "What's wrong?" He said, "You didn't let me, you know. He'd only been singing a man." He said, "You know, that's uh, I can't I can't sell gospel." He said, what, "What? What? Tell me what's wrong?" He said, "Well, you just don't believe in it." And he said, "You tell me I don't believe in God." He said, "No, Mister Cash, I'm not saying anything about whether you believe in God. You just not believe in yourself. I'm not getting in that in what you're singing." And then he said, "Well, you didn't let us bring it home." He said, "Okay, bring it home, mom." Well, let's put it like this. If you got hit by a truck and you were lying in the ditch and you were dying and you had one song, one last song to define who you are, one song that would let people know what mattered to you, you're telling me that's the song you'd sing? That same old Jimmy Davis song we hear a hundred times every day? Or would you sing something different? Something you believed? Because that's what sells. That's what people are looking for. And then Johnny Cash sang a song he wrote when he was in the Air Force. Um, and so, and of course, Johnny realized, Sam Phillips realized he had a, you know, a really great musician on his hands, and the rest is history. Well, it opens with that screenplay. I actually got permission from Fox to use the screenplay in the, in the book. Oh, wow. With some dollars with it. But um, at <laughs> any rate, um, but the book is about why, how you serve in a way that makes a profound difference in people's lives. And so if you think about a kaleidoscope, you know, we get to turn that animator and see all those pretty pictures that we see, but the stones inside never change. It is the core of those jewels or stones or glass cuts that never change. They are the substance of those pictures that change all the time. And so this book is about how do you... How do you find and, and, and live out of those, those core elements that help deliver the kind of experience that is, makes a profound difference on people's lives? It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun book. I'm excited by it. Well, I am eagerly looking forward to it, and I hope you'll consider coming back and oh, visiting with to. us, and, we, and we'll talk about it. Good. I'd yeah. love to. Right. It has been an absolute delight oh, having thanks, you though. in the studio. Before we leave, let's make sure our listeners know where they can get their hands on this book or reach out to you to have a conversation with you or someone sure. on your team about your work. Easy way is chipbell.com. That's, um, it's a website I can remember. Um, and the books, you know, available uh, anywhere books, you know, or so Amazon's probably the simplest, easiest way to get it. But 
But at any rate, anybody, if they want to cut to contact me, all the contacts, information is on my website. Well, thanks again for joining us. This has been just wonderful. Good. My pleasure. Thank you, Lee. Thank you. Enjoy it, Stone. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for Lee Cantor, our fearless producer, Ryan Redhawk McPherson, our guest this afternoon, Chip Bell, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Business Writers Radio. Business Writers Radio is brought to you by Business Writers Exchange. To learn more about developing a successful book and building your business around it, visit business-writers-exchange.com.